welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. I heard this story recently about this woman named Wendy Lawson. And uh, when she was 37 years old, she woke up and half of her body was numb. She could not feel half of, it was the left side of her body. She described it as if somebody took a piece of chalk and, and drew a line down the center of my body. The whole left side was numb. And uh, well, just woke up one day and experienced that. And she thought that she had a pinched nerve. So she went to a chiropractor. And then the chiropractor sent her to a doctor. And the doctor did some, uh, scanned some images, MRI and saw that she had lesions on her brain stem and in her brain. She had acute multiple sclerosis. And the doctor told her that she'd probably never walk again. And for 11 years, this woman went in and out of uh, remission, meaning that you know the symptoms would flare up, and when they'd flare up, she would... Um, she would either be bedridden or she would be, you know, in a wheelchair. And uh, over time, her hands kind of became uh, crippled. And uh, somewhere in the midst of that, God started doing a work in her heart. And she realized that she needed God in her life. And uh, she sought out a church. And a group of women came around her, and they would go to her house, and they would do Bible studies with her. And they taught her about Jesus. And as they were teaching her about Jesus, she learned that the mission of a Christian is to actually go out and do the work of Christ, not just receive. And before she developed MS, she was a paramedic. She was a flight paramedic. And God put in, this deep, in her this deep desire to go out and to use her talent for him on the mission field. So she prayed that God would cause her MS to go into remission long enough that she could go on a missions trip. So God actually granted that. And she went to Madagascar. And uh, she went to Madagascar to do medical missions, but also to share the gospel. And while she was there, she saw a little boy about the same age as that little girl who had the bowl of rice. And the little boy had a broken leg. It snapped. Broken leg. And she kneeled down and put her little mangled hands, the claws, and, and just kind of put them on that little boy's leg and, and just prayed simply, in the name of, Lord, name of Jesus, be healed. And she said that when she prayed that, her hands felt like they were on fire. And the bones of that little kid's leg moved into place and completely healed. And the little boy jumped up. Now, he went from having a broken leg. Broken legs are painful. Okay, I had a broken foot before, and I was a big baby. You know, I, I walked with a cane for a while, and you know, I, I soaked it up as much as I could. But anyway, so... Um, <laughs> You know, broken legs are so painful. And he went from, I know, whew, this is a tough one. Um, 
he, he went from you know, having a broken leg to completely healed, and he jumped up and he said, hallelujah, hallelujah. And this little, little kid just running around screaming out hallelujah. And, it, and you just, I just think about all the little kids here, you know, and uh, man, I can just see it. I can see it in my mind when that happened. And, and I thought, that is it. That, that is it. Like, that's the thing we're missing. We've been journaling through the book of Acts. And as you journal and read, raise your hand if you've ever read through the book of Acts. Okay. It is inescapable that the apostles went out and did mighty works of God in proclaiming the word of God. Inescapable. It's throughout the entire book. And it leaves you, after reading that, asking yourself this question, why don't I see this here? Why don't I see this in my life? Why don't I see this in my Christian community? Why don't I see this in American Christianity? And uh, I was praying yesterday about this message, and I've been working on this message for weeks now, and usually I, I try to finish it way before Saturday night. And I thought I had it finished, but God said, nope, I've got something else for you. So Carrie knows I stayed up pretty late last night. And so now my emotions are all like, you know, out of whack. Cause, and uh, God, God spoke that God really, and I want to be careful with saying this, because I, I really feel like God gave us a word as a community. That, and, and this is it. God wants us to go from being disciples to apostles. Because if you look at the gospel accounts and you look at the followers of Jesus before the book of Acts, they look like us. They had one foot out the door most of the time. They struggled with fear. They struggled with doubt. They didn't see the power of God at work in their lives. They lacked boldness. And when Jesus went to the cross, they, they gave up. But something happened. Something happened in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. And I believe, I truly believe that God wants to do something amazing here today, that God is going to do, that today is going to be a turning point, just like it was for the followers of Jesus in the early church, who went from being disciples to apostles. In the book of Acts, there was this event that we're going to unpack and we're going to look at. And it, if, if you don't understand it, it seems really weird, <laughs> very strange. Um, but what the disciples received on the day of Pentecost, called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is essential, essential to our lives as witnesses of Jesus, as those who are seeking to go out and share the gospel and demonstrate the power of God. Essential. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in Luke, and I'm going to take you on a little journey up until the day of Pentecost. And then we're going to look at the results of Pentecost, and we're going to try to answer three questions today. What is the baptism, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why do we need it? How do we receive it? Okay? 
This is going to be a little bit of a journey. We're going to go through a bunch of scripture. Uh, so buckle up. So we're going to start in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke. Luke also wrote Acts, so in many ways we're kind of staying in the same book. Um, The disciples followed Jesus for two, maybe three years. There's debate over this, but let's say we'll go with three. Um, And as I said, while they were following him, they were kind of half in, half out. And they were waiting for Jesus to establish the kingdom of God on earth. They looked at Jesus and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was the divine king who would come and set things straight in the world so that life would be at peace again, so that the world would be at peace, so that there would be shalom. And they observed these mighty works of Jesus, which affirmed their belief. And they just kept waiting, waiting, waiting. When is Jesus going to establish his kingdom? But he didn't do it. Not in the sense they were thinking. Instead, he went to the cross. And they couldn't understand why. And in that time where, where Jesus got handed over to be crucified, basically most of them left town. And some of them watched from afar. And only his mother and a few others were there when he was crucified. And they lost all of their unction, all of their desire to, to be disciples. But Jesus didn't give up on them. So Jesus was crucified during the feast of Passover. Okay? And three days after he was crucified, he rose from the dead, and he began appearing to the disciples. And for a period of 40 days, he taught them, he opened up the scriptures, he gave them understanding of the scriptures, he explained why he didn't establish the kingdom at that time, and he gave them a mission. So here's where we pick up in, in Luke. So let's go to Luke 24. This is during the 40 days after he rose from the dead. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scripture. So he taught them this. And he gave them the actual ability, spiritual ability, to understand this. Because this would be critical, an understanding of this would be critical for the mission. Thus it was written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So he's saying here that, okay, I didn't set up my kingdom. I needed to go to the cross because you needed to be forgiven of your sins. Now, I'm sending you on mission to go spread my kingdom. Here's your mission. Go out and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. 
in his name to all nations from the beginning, uh, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses. Now here's where it starts to get, get a little deep here. The word witness in the Greek is the word martyr. He just told them that he went to the cross and he suffered in doing his mission. Now he's saying to the disciples, I'm sending you out to be my witnesses, to continue my mission. You are going to be persecuted. You are going to be martyrs. That's hard. And I think about our lives and how hard it is to just share our faith with our family, to share our faith with the people we work with. It's scary. It is. And if we're honest, we shy away because we're afraid of the persecution that comes. And Jesus can sympathize with that because he was persecuted, because he suffered in sharing the kingdom of God. And he has a solution for that. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so he's fully man, fully God. He had the Holy Spirit dwelling in him from birth. But yet he was baptized. And when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit as a dove came upon him. Upon him. As we see in this text, this promise that Jesus is talking about, the gift from the Father that will come upon, that will clothe in power. He's talking about the same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus when he was baptized. And if you look at the life of Jesus, when Jesus was baptized, after he was baptized, what did he do? He went out and proclaimed the message of the kingdom of God. And he went into a synagogue and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news. I'm going to even read it to you. I got to read it. This is it's getting me fired up. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that spirit which came upon him gave him extraordinary power to do kingdom ministry. And the whole gospel account, they're just accounts of Jesus going out and proclaiming within uh, Israel, but even to the world, the kingdom of God. And now the apostles, or disciples still at this point, they're still in their minds thinking, okay, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set up his kingdom and everything's going to be set straight. Turn to the book of Acts. During this 40 days, even though he opened their minds and started teaching them the scripture, they still struggled. They still struggled with doubt. They still struggled with understanding why Jesus 
went to the cross and why he isn't establishing his kingdom. And here we go. In the book of Acts, he starts to unpack why. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the book, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. See the connection here? So he's talking to them again about this promise. And now we're we're 10 days before when this is actually going to happen. And saying, go to, you know, stay in Jerusalem, don't depart until you receive the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there's two key points, there's two key words in this passage. There's this receiving of this promise, and then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, the word receive isn't passive. It's actually active. It means take hold of, grab hold of, make it your own. Jesus is talking about a gift from the Father that would come through Jesus, and it is that, a gift. It's like, you know, it's my birthday. Corey comes to my house with a birthday present, and it's a beautiful package. It's a beautiful box, and and he he gets Here's your birthday gift. And I go, like, oh, look at that. That's pretty. That's, I'm going to put it right there. Okay? And then because it's so pretty, I never want to open it. Now, did I really receive that gift? No. no I didn't because I never really opened it up and, and saw what it was. Or here's another illustration. Come here, Corey. So let's say, you know, I'm at home. And I go, Corey, why don't you come over? Let's hang out. So he comes and he knocks on the door. And, okay, he knocks on the door and says, hey, come on in. And, you know, I come in, give him a hug and say, hey, let's hang out. So we sit down and we talk, okay. He's in my house and we've interacted. So I have received him, right? Yeah. Now, let's say he comes to my house, he knocks on the door, and I'm upstairs brushing my teeth. Brushing my teeth. And Carrie comes in, lets him in, okay. So he's in the house and he's downstairs. And, you know, I'm brushing my teeth. I decide the floss. He goes on Netflix. He's watching 24. And, uh, you know, he's in my house. Have I received him yet? No. No. Okay. So the Holy Spirit, you can have a seat. There's this aspect of receiving the Holy Spirit that is different than the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, even before you become a believer, the Holy Spirit starts working in you and starts working on your heart and does things inside of you. So he's already tinkering in there. And most of us know this who, you know, who've come out of like deep sin and in the world. It's like, there's no reason I should have came to Jesus. I shared this last time I preached. There's no reason other than the fact that he started already working in me. Okay. And there's this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that occurs when we're a believer, where we, we're given the Holy Spirit, okay? But we need to receive the Holy Spirit, which is different than just having the gift inside of you. Here's where the, where the hiccup is. 
Here's, this is where we struggle with understand what this idea of receiving the Spirit is. It's easy to understand what it means to receive Jesus because Jesus is, we think of him as a person, okay? He's, he had flesh, he had skin and bones. And we think about, okay, yeah, I get that idea. Receiving Jesus as your Savior, submitting to him, deciding to, uh, you know, to follow him and submit to him. You know, the Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit's not the force. It's not like Metachlorian in uh, Star Wars, right? Who's a Star Wars nerd? Yeah, come on now, right? It's, it's not the force. It's not, the Holy Spirit is a person. And we need to receive the Holy Spirit like we received Jesus. We need to allow him to teach us. We need to allow him to empower us. We need to allow him to speak through us and do the miraculous through us. And in order for that to happen, we have to be baptized. Now, when we get baptized in water, we did this a couple weeks ago, people came forward, walked up the steps, hopped in the tank, went in the water, came out, and woo! What is that saying when we're baptized? It's an outward sign of an internal reality. We are saying that I have died to my old self, and I'm going to live for Jesus, right? That's water baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is saying that I'm going to die to my old self and my old way of life and live on mission for the kingdom of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me. Does that make sense? You following that? Okay, so it's a separate thing. Receiving the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate thing than the baptism of water. Does that make sense? Okay. You're gonna, it's going to make more sense even as we go, because I'm going to keep unpacking this. And, and, and when we look at Pentecost and what happened that day, it's good, I think it's going to be crystal clear. And I'm, I'm excited to even get there right now. I don't want to jump the gun, though. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? There it is again. They're kind of missing the mission. You can't separate the mission from the gift. Right? Because it's not power for the sake of power. I shared this in the first service. It's power for the sake of mission. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, the word power in the Greek is the same word that we get dynamite from. It's dunamis. It's dynamite. It's extraordinary power. It's not just the ability to pick up a table. It's ability to do something that is not humanly possible to demonstrate the power of God so that Christ is glorified. That's right. Fix a broken bone. Perfect example. That is not humanly possible. The whole, the healing of that woman's brainstem and her brain with those lesions, that's not humanly possible. It's power to do the miraculous that's way beyond human ability. Power to preach with boldness and see 3,000 people come to know the Lord in one meeting. It's power to endure persecution in the face of being flogged by stones. You all have been watching the news. I might as well go there now because I think this is important. The 21 Coptic Christians. Yeah. 
So 21 Coptic Christians. The Coptic church is one of the oldest churches in the world. It was founded by St. Mark. And the Coptic, the Coptic church was founded in Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt is where we get most of our manuscripts that were used to write the New Testament. The best manuscripts we have come from Alexandria. It's a special place. And these, these wonderful men who were, followed Jesus had to kneel down on a beach and they had their heads chopped off by these gruesome men. And before their heads were chopped off, they proclaimed Jesus as Lord. They had the power and the boldness to endure that and proclaim the name of Christ. And they didn't denounce their faith. Now, could I do that? I, I hope so. But the only way I could do that is through the power of the Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. The dunamis, the dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. There it is again, martyrs. In Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, into the end of the, to the ends of the earth. So there's the mission. He's saying the, 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 the power is so that you can go into the world and be on mission. Something that I was very convicted of lately is the fact that in church, we expect people to come to us. So we have set up this system where we, we get together every Sunday. And don't get me wrong, I love this. I love that we have this community and this fellowship. But we cannot expect that the lost are going to come to us. Our mission is to go. Hearing me? The power is to go and be effective while you are going. Right? That's sinking in? There was a magician in the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer, who watched and saw the apostles while they were going, performing all this, these miracles. And Simon the magician said, Oh, I want to have that power. And he wanted the power for the sake of having power. And he got rebuked for that. And then he actually even repented at the end and realized that. And God showed me this last night in my midnight hour of, oh my goodness, I am guilty of that. In so many ways, I have asked God to give power for the sake of having power, but not power for the sake of his mission. Amen? Yeah. So when we think about at the very beginning when I said, you know, do we see these miracles in our lives like in the book of Acts? Do we see God doing these powerful acts, these powerful works through us? And, and we all kind of like, well, no. I think, I think we, we have not because we ask not. And when we do ask, we ask amiss. Like we're asking for the wrong reasons. And that was really convicting really convicting. So on the 50th day after the Passover, the Jews came together to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks was a celebration of when Moses went on Mount Sinai and received the law. Okay? And that's really important to what's going to happen right now on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. 
when the day of Pentecost arrived. Another way to translate that word arrived, which I believe is better, is fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Several weeks ago, I preached a sermon on Jeremiah 31 about how there would be a day when God would write the law on the hearts of men. And then in Ezekiel 36, there would be a day when God would pour out his spirit on people, or he put his spirit in people, rather than in a building, in a tabernacle or a temple. Pentecost is the fulfillment of the law on the hearts of men, rather than the law on the tablets of stone. It's a fulfillment of the spirit within man, rather than the spirit within the Holy of Holies, in a place, in a geographic place. And it's a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, where Joel said, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. So when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, this is what happened. They were all together in one place. The place was most likely the upper room. They meaning that they had the disciples, soon to be apostles, plus some other followers, so there's about 120 of them, in the upper room, the same place where they had the Passover meal, where they had first communion. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It's the word, the Hebrew word ruach. And whenever God shows up in the Old Testament, most of the time, there is this mighty wind that accompanies his presence. In the garden, after Adam and Eve sinned, where God came in the cool of the day, it actually uses the word ruach there. So actually, it probably wasn't that. It was probably this big windstorm that came because, you know, they messed up. So he was coming in judgment. And so God's, God came with might. When Elisha was on the mountain and he was seeking to hear from God and God's presence came, there was this mighty rushing wind that like plowed through the, in between the mountains. And, and there was that pastor who said, well, God's voice wasn't in that. But still, that was a representation of God's presence. So we have the presence of God now coming down into this upper room and filling it. And the word fill here is, it connotates filling all aspects. So it would be like if we took a hose and closed these doors and sealed them off and and put water in here and filled it to the brim. Like all aspects of this room filled, but not with water, with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. What in the world is that? Now, to me, I, th- I think about like a concert. So I used to go see like Van Halen concerts back in the, in the 90s. And, uh, you know, when, 
Love comes walking in, you know, and then everyone puts up their lighters, and, and then you have the, the flames up over there. And so, like, in my mind, I see, like, you know, they're all holding up their lighters, but that's actually not at all what it is. Here, here's what it is. Again, this is a fulfillment of a bunch of different Old Testament symbols. In the Old Testament, when the tabernacle was constructed... And they set up the Holy of Holies, and they put the ark, which had the law, okay? A, God's presence filled that tabernacle in a pillar of fire, a single pillar of fire. A massive pillar of fire came down from heaven, from the heavenlies, and rested upon the Holy of Holies. You could visually see it if you were standing out. It was a pillar of fire. In this passage, the pillar of fire came back. And the pillar of fire didn't come as one pillar of fire. It came as lots of little pillars of fire resting on top of the people. What is that saying? It's saying that believers are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is awesome. Amen. Amen. It's power. It's saying that you have God's presence inside of you. It's saying that you have the spirit of Christ inside of you if you receive it in its fullness. So we talked about indwelling and spirit within, spirit upon. Got to get this principle. I already shared about Jesus, didn't I? Did I share about Jesus? Jesus being born of the Holy Spirit? Trying to remember what I shared. Okay. All right. So when Jesus was born, spirit within. When Jesus was baptized, spirit upon. And at this moment, they were receiving the Spirit upon. In John chapter 20, when Jesus was with the disciples, he breathed out the Ruah again. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit, Spirit within. He poured it out. He established the indwelling. This is Spirit upon, which is a separate event. So tongues of fire appeared and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled. There's two aspects to this filling. This, I think this is great. This is fantastic. There's one aspect where it's a drenching, where it's like filled to the brim. Well, it's like if you take a sponge and dip it in water and pull it out, like it's so saturated, the water's dripping down. There's another aspect of this filling where it is under the influence of. It's what the word literally means, actually, to be under the influence of. So they became under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit began to empower and speak through them and act through them so that they could do the miraculous. And here's the first miraculous sign that appeared. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. So this whole idea of tongues, this is one of those controversial issues. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay? There's, there's some differing opinions on what tongues is and whether everyone should pray in tongues or only some people should pray in tongues and what is it, should I have it? Okay? The word in Greek is glossalia. And it has three meanings. It had three meanings then. Like the way that they understood it then was in three ways. It meant, one, it was the organ, your tongue. And that's not what this is talking about, you know, because that would be weird. 
And two, it's a language. It's an actual language, like Russian or Chinese or English or Spanish or Zimbabwe, if that's a language. Uh, Yeah. And the third is that it is a heavenly language that cannot be understood by mere people. That isn't something that the Pentecostals made up. This is something that they understood at that time, that it was part of their culture, that that was an understanding within the first century you know, uh, Greco-Roman world, that that's what was a reality, things, something that could happen. <clears throat> so spirit came upon them. They began to speak in tongues. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And this sound, and, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own language? And then he goes and lists all the different languages that they were hearing in and says this, that we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So here's what is happening here. The disciples who are now apostles because they've received the power of the Holy Spirit, okay, they, and some others who were in that room began to speak in languages they did not know. And they were proclaiming the mighty works in languages they did not know. That is a miracle. You cannot speak Spanish unless you have studied Spanish. And the only way you could speak Spanish if you didn't study Spanish is if God gave you the ability to do that and spoke through you. I think that blows my mind. If that doesn't blow your mind, then I don't know what. This literally happened to Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark went on a missions trip. He was in a taxi, and it was with one of the guys uh, that he was uh, interacting with on the missions trip. And suddenly... Mark started speaking in tongues, and the guy he was with was like, whoa, I didn't know you knew how to speak my language. And Mark was like, what? And the guy's like, yeah, this is what you just said. You just spoke in my language. This happens now. This can happen now. That's important. And what was the purpose of it? I think this is even more important. What was the purpose of those tongues It was exalting God. It was exalting Christ. So we take all of this, all all that stuff I just went through. I want to give us a definition now. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when a believer receives extraordinary power for Christ-exalting ministry through the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when a believer receives the dynamite power, extraordinary power for Christ-exalting ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we look through the book of Acts, if we read through it right now, if we just sat down and read all the pages, we'd see that this power, this extraordinary power, gives us ability in three main ways. It gives us the ability to boldly and and effectively proclaim the word of God. After this tongues incident, the apostle Peter gave a sermon. 
after he gave the sermon, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people. 3,000 people were saved. That's not human wisdom. I mean, you could get the best preacher in the world in human standards or the best speaker in the world, have him give a message and try to convince 3,000 people. You think that 3,000 people are going to agree? I mean, you can't get a room full of 12 people to agree on one thing, especially with Christians, right? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We're opinionated people. Yeah, just our life group. (laughs) But we love each other anyway. Okay, bringing it back in the words of Chris Mogey. Okay. Okay. So we have extraordinary power to proclaim the word of God. And we saw that right after they were praying in tongues. Okay. We have extraordinary power to do the works of Jesus, to, perf- to have the miraculous performed through us. Through us. Throughout the book of Acts, crazy things happen. It's like the Wild West. You know, people are getting bit by serpents and not dying, picking them up, biting them back. You know, like people getting healed by the shit. No, that didn't happen. They didn't bite them back. But yeah, somebody did get bit by a serpent and didn't die. People are getting raised from the dead. People are getting healed in the shadow of Peter. Like crazy things that we don't see now in our community, but actually people are seeing abroad in world missions. Like that stuff's happening today, but it's not happening now. We see power in the story of Stephen, who, this young man who became a a passionate believer for for Jesus and got up in front of all these religious leaders and just laced into them. I mean, he slammed them big time and said, you guys basically, you guys crucified Christ. He's like, and drop the mic, you know, and, and they, and and then, you know, just like the, the poor guy, the, the 21 Coptic Christians, they, they began to stone Stephen, but Stephen stayed firm in his faith, and he remained bold in the face of persecution. Why? Why power for proclaiming the word? Why power for performing miracles? Why power for being firm in our faith, even when we might be martyrs? It's because Jesus is wanting us to expand the kingdom of God that Jesus has set us on mission to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God, to demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God. So that souls may be one for Christ. Wow. Woo. And he gives us the power to do it because he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. It'd be, I wouldn't send Jacob out to go drive a car right now. I wouldn't send him out to the store to go buy milk. Why? Because he doesn't have the ability to do it. God doesn't ask us to do things we don't have the ability to do. He's given us the ability, but we have to receive it. We have to receive it. So we know what the baptism is. We know why. Now here's the big one. How do we receive it? I think this is the one where there's most confusion of receiving. And it ties in I think, to fear and unbelief, pride and confusion. I think all those things factor into this. I think we struggle to believe that God can still do those things through us. 
We really, truly do. I think we truly and deeply, if we're, if we're pinned down and cordoned, we would probably say, ah, I don't think God's going to do those things through me because it's not what we see. There's been a whole branch of theology that's been developed to try to explain away and say that this stuff doesn't happen anymore. They're called cessationists. And it's not, even, it's not in the scripture, but they try to make it say that. Because when we look at your normal American Christian, you don't see any of this stuff, or at least most, <laughs> you know? So receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think one, we have to realize that it is a gift and we have to take hold of it and we have to make it our own. It's a gift to us. God's saying, here, I want to give you extraordinary power to live out the ministry of Christ. I want to give you gifts of the Spirit to build up the body, but to also go out and win souls for Jesus. He is giving uh, given us the, these abilities like prophecy, like healing, like praying in tongues. Because praying in tongues, there, there's two aspects of praying in tongues, as I said before. There's the language aspect, and then there's the prayer language aspect where only God understands. And that, the function of that is to build you up, is so that to empower you, to build you up so that when you go out and you face persecution, so that when you go out and you have to proclaim the word of God, right, you have the strength to do it. Amen? Amen. That's awesome. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether everyone can or should pray in tongues. Now, I believe that God gives the Spirit without measure, and I believe we all have the same Holy Spirit. And I think we should all seek it. And I think we should all believe that God wants us to have good things. Okay? I don't want anyone to get discouraged if they don't have that. Because ultimately, you know, God, God knows what he's doing. But I don't want anyone to not receive it because of unbelief. Because I think it's very easy for us to explain away why we don't see things. And to make excuses for why we don't see miracles, for why we don't pray in tongues, for why we don't. And we come up with these theologies to explain it away. Why don't we just believe? Why don't we just believe that God can, God wants to do amazing things through us and let him do it. And put ourselves in places and situations where we need God's power. You know, because if we're not going, if we're not going and witnessing, why would we expect to see power? Right? And if we want to see more of God and see him move, then we need to go. We need to stop being a church that says, hey, you know, you need to come to us. It's like, no, we're going to go. Friendship evangelism is not in the Bible. And that's hard. Because I know it's something that we talk about and we value. But in the book of Acts, what did they do? They went out and boldly proclaimed the word of God. The apostles didn't make friends first with the people they were sharing with. Yeah, and it's not, that's not easy. That's not easy at all. You know who I've seen do that a lot? Norm. There was one day Norm and I went for a walk, and we were walking, and we saw these two people by the river. And all of a sudden, Norm just, you know, in his southern charm, went to this, these two individuals and started talking, and bam, he just automatically went into talking about God, and it was awesome. And they received it and responded to it. And you know what? They ended up, you know, one of them ended up on the phone, like calling her friend. He's like, oh my goodness, this guy's talking about God. And I, I, I feel like God's been talking to me as well. And it's like, he didn't know them. He wasn't friends with them. But yet he 
responded to the mission. God gave him the ability, the empowerment to do that. Gave him the boldness and the courage. We all struggle with courage. And the people don't are prideful. We all struggle with courage. But God wants to give us the, the dynamite power, the Holy Spirit power to go out and to do the mission of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Woo! Okay, that's right. So we need to receive it, and, and we need to be baptized. And I already talked about that. But it's important to reiterate, reiterate that, that there has to be this dying to self. There has to be a repentance. There has to be a repentance. Because I know in my heart, I've asked for power for the sake of power in the past. I, I know in my heart, I've, I've operated in my own strength so many times and not sought God and say, God, I can't do this apart from you. And when we, when we don't seek God's strength, when we try to work in our own flesh, we fail. We fail miserably, right? And often we fail over and over again. And God's just waiting for us to surrender and say, I need you to empower me because I can't do this. I need you to be my comforter. I need you to be my teacher. I need you, Holy Spirit, to be my guide, to be my strength. That's what it means to receive Jesus. That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to open yourself, to allow the Holy Spirit to influence others through you. Amen? So we're going to have an opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit in the same way that we receive Jesus. Okay? I mean, who, who needs more boldness in their life? Amen? I'm, I love it. This guy's great. He fires me up. Let me say this too, okay? Once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to keep getting filled. So we're, we're like sponges, as I said before, and we soak up the water. All right, but eventually that sponge gets dry. All right, so we need to keep getting filled daily. We need to clothe ourselves in power daily through asking and praying and receiving and believing that He will and going out on mission so that power might be manifest through us. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church, or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.